looking to dive into topics on how to live a happier, healthier, more fit, and long lifespan, then you've come to the right podcast. Live in the dream with me, Coach Damian Evans. Together, we will explore the topics on all things health, fitness, and wellness. Together, we will be lifelong learners on this journey to living the ultimate dream. What up, Dream Team? Coach D here coming at you from beautiful, sunny San Diego. And in today's episode, we will be discussing one of my biggest passions, movement. I was recently asked to give a presentation to a company on total wellness. Shout out to the Dana Co. and all the companies within the Dana Co. company, such as Notori Fashion Company over in New York, great group of people over there, and Ulala Cherie, as well as the FS team and others. I broke the topic down into four important pillars. The presentation was only an hour long, so I had to keep the information fairly broad for time constraint reasons. But for this podcast, I get as much time as I want. So the goal is, as I share with this Live in the Dream team, these four important large levers that we can learn how important these big rocks are, and we can leverage them to improve our total wellness. I'll bring up what we covered in that presentation, but we are also going to go so much deeper on each individual pillar and topic. Total wellness is a large subject, and four really important pillars to total wellness are movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep and recovery. We will touch on some of the struggles that we currently see with the way that our society is going in terms of each pillar, then discuss strategies and tips on how to boost each pillar to optimal status. But before we get to the topic of the day, I'd like to start by thanking the sponsors of this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Eat the Frog Fitness. Eat the Frog Fitness is the most personalized group fitness experience that you will ever find. All Frog Squad members are assessed every eight weeks to see and track progress. The programming is backed by science-based periodization, which means that your sessions are designed to progress you and intensify over time, as well as programmed in recovery weeks. Check out any of the Eat the Frog locations in Southern California, and if you mention the Live in the Dream podcast, you will receive your first two training sessions complimentary. Another one of our sponsors is the music app Brain.fm. Use Brain.fm's functional music to help you focus, relax, meditate, and sleep better. Using cutting-edge neuroscience to get the results that you're after. I used Brain.fm for years before I partnered with them. I truly believe in their product. I use it every single night to help me go to sleep and get deep sleep. I also use it anytime I'm creating an episode for this podcast. My Aura Ring tracks my sleep data, and the difference is noticeable. Download the app right on your app store and use the discount code CoachDamian underscore SD to try the app for free and a discount off your first month if you decide to continue on with your subscription. And this week's five-star review comes from Jeremy S. Jeremy S. says, I have learned so much interesting and useful information from listening to this show. Love the diverse topics on health, fitness, and wellness. Thank you so much, Jeremy S., for your support and your kind words. And if y'all would do me a favor, if you haven't already, while you're listening to this episode, 
If you haven't subscribed yet, please take a second to subscribe to this podcast, which will allow you to get notifications anytime I release an episode. But it also shows more people if this podcast is worth worth a listen to them. Then you can scroll down and leave me a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to if you feel that I've earned it. I read every single one of the reviews, and I appreciate the love and the feedback. And now, here's episode one on the presentation speech that I gave on total wellness. What's up, team? My name is Coach Damien, and I am a health and fitness professional. I'm super excited to be here with you today to have a discussion on total wellness. This is a topic that I live and breathe, and I spend all of my waking hours and sometimes my sleeping hours thinking about. When I got asked to speak to a fashion company about total wellness, in my head, I kind of chuckled because fashion has never really been a strength of mine. At least so I've been told by most of my friends many, many times. In fitness, it's totally appropriate to wear shorts and a tank top everywhere that you go for pretty much all occasions, which might make some of you cringe. I know it does for some of my friends. So I'm super excited that I get the opportunity to be here with a group of creative, artistic, highly motivated, and highly skilled individuals. And I'm really hoping that some of your guys' style rubs off on me by the end of our time together here. So thank you so much for having me. Let's quickly touch on my background and how I got to be here with you today. When I was younger, I had pretty bad body image issues. I still probably have some form of body dysmorphia motivating my training to this day. I've been an athlete all my life, and usually I excelled at anything physical that you could throw at me, especially in the small town that I was raised in. However, I was given many nicknames growing up by teammates, coaches, friends. They would call me things like skinny bones and chicken legs. And no, it never seemed malicious to me, but I really always was just thin and lean. I've pretty much always had very visible abs, but you could also clearly see every single one of my ribs. So I always use the joke like the skinny teenager boy abs, they don't really count. As with many of the people that I train, I got into fitness based on vanity. I wanted to get swole. I wanted to be a better athlete. I just wanted to earn a new nickname. After fumbling through the first stages of fitness, just like everybody does, learning how to do exercises like squats and lunges and push-ups and pull-ups and learning the skills of those movements, I also learned about each specific muscle of the body, where they attach and what they do. I learned how to change the body composition of a person through diet and exercise, and I experimented on myself. With my athletic background and my behind-the-scenes body insecurity driving me, I found that this was a pretty natural field. I became obsessed, and I decided, decided to start helping others. I was 19 years old when I started, and I'm almost 36 years old now. And in between that time, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in exercise sports science with a focus on fitness and nutrition. Man, I got certifications in personal training, group fitness, any type of modality that you could think of, pretty much any certification or conference that I could get my hands on. I've coached over 10,000 group fitness workouts with tens of thousands of people having gone through those walls. I've trained all types of people with every type of goal that you could think of at all ages. I've trained university students and professors, professional athletes, workaholics, 
the weekend warrior that just wants to get abs for Vegas. But mostly, I've, I've helped hardworking people trying to do their best who are just looking to be a little more healthy and happy in their own skin and be strong and independent for whatever the life that they want to live throws at them. My knowledge started to compound and grow the day that I committed to be a lifelong learner back in 2015. I told myself, and I made a New Year's resolution just like everyone does, that every single day from here on out, I'm going to learn one new thing, at least one new thing about wellness. And I'm happy to say that I am still going strong to this day, whether it be a podcast in my ear or an audiobook, or a textbook or article or a scientific study that I read. Every single day, I'm chasing more knowledge, more experienced wisdom from the experts that I look up to and studying history all so that I can slowly climb the unobtainable mountaintop that is the path to wellness enlightenment. Now, currently I host a health, fitness, and wellness podcast called the Live in the Dream podcast, where our Live in the Dream team work together to be lifelong learners in this pursuit to making us stronger, happier, and healthier humans on the journey to living our own ultimate dream life. Our team started the podcast back in 2020 because, well, to be honest, I kept getting asked the same questions day after day so many times by so many people searching for help with their goals. So instead of repeating myself over and over and giving half-baked answers because I had to rush them and answers that these people probably wouldn't even remember, I decided to start putting the answers in audio form. I researched and learned from the most respected experts in their specific fields, looking through the data from scientific studies and summarizing books and articles, and I put it in an easily understandable format. During this time, we came up with some rules to follow in order to live our own dream life. And these life rules, if followed, don't just lead to a long lifespan, which really isn't our problem today. We already live pretty long lives. But these rules help lead us down a path to a truly happy, healthy, and more fit and long health span. Today, the average person lives a long lifespan. It's true. But sadly, their later years are plagued with chronic diseases. Their independence is stripped from them. They take fistful after fistful of medication and pills, and they end up putting a huge burden on their family, friends, and community in their later years. Our nation, the U.S., is spending more and more money on healthcare every single year. We spend far more than any other country. It was estimated that we spent $4.1 trillion on healthcare in the year 2020. $4.1 trillion on healthcare. And yet, we have some of the worst outcomes and the most sick citizens to show for all the money that we spent. Something is just not working. For me, the goal is to live a long time with all my physical and cognitive abilities, healthy, happy, fulfilled, surrounded by people that I love until one night I go to sleep and I peacefully move on. And I really do wish the same thing for all of you if that's what you want. And it was with this goal that I came up with a list of rules for life. But before I show you the rules for life that I've come up with for myself, let me tell you about a well-known story. Some of you may have heard this before. So it's about a university professor who wanted to make a point about how we can make the most of our time. And he stood before his class with some items in front of him. Without saying a word, when the class started to 
fill in the seats, he grabbed an empty jar and he proceeded to fill up this jar with a bunch of big rocks, about two inches in length, and he just filled these big rocks all the way up to the top of the jar. He then asked the class if the jar was full. All the students looked at the jar and agreed, yeah, the jar was full. The professor then grabbed a bunch of pebbles and sprinkled them into the jar. He shook it around and he, he watched, the students watched, the pebbles found their way in between the cracks of the big rocks. The professor then asked, okay, now is the jar full? The students kind of looked a little less confident. They looked around and kind of nodded, maybe, yeah, it might be full. Then the professor grabbed a box of sand and proceeded to pour the sand into the jar and the sand filled all the remaining space in the jar. Now, said the professor, I want you to recognize that this jar, it symbolizes your life. And the moral of this story is what we're going to base our four pillars of total wellness on. The rocks are the truly important things such as family, health, community. If all else was lost and only the rocks remained, your life would still be full and meaningful. The pebbles, those are the other stuff in your life that matters, such as work or school. And then the sand, the sand signifies the remaining small stuff, the material possessions that you own. If you were to put the sand into the jar first, there would be no room for the rocks or the pebbles. The same can be applied to all of our lives. If you spend your time, if you spend your energy on the small stuff, you will never have room for the things that are truly important. Pay attention to the things in life that are critical to your happiness and well-being. Take time to look after your health. Spend time with your loved ones. Go for a run. Write a letter to your grandma. There will always be time to go to work, to clean the house, or to watch TV. Take care of the big rocks first. The things that really matter. Set your priorities. The rest is just pebbles and sand. So with this story in mind, in order for us to really capture total wellness for ourselves, today we're going to be covering the big rocks, the four total wellness pillars, the things that really matter, the items that make the biggest splash. These pillars will be movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep and recovery. Now, as I've navigated my own health and fitness journey, I found it helpful to have a list of rules that have helped guide me. Over time, I've worked on these rules, making them shorter, more powerful, more impactful. And as we discuss each pillar, we will also discuss how we can utilize some of these rules for life in order to live our own fulfilled dream lives and boost our pillars. I will briefly discuss and touch on these rules now, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper as we move throughout the pillars. Here are a few of the rules for life that I've come up with. Rule number one, do what works for me. Do what works for me. Rule number two, if I don't use it, I will lose it. If I don't use it, I will lose it. Rule number three, do the hard thing. Everything that I want is on the other side of hard. Rule number four, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Rule number five, how I do anything is how I do everything. Rule number six, movement is life. Motion is lotion and fitness can be medicine. Movement is life. Motion is lotion and fitness can be medicine. And we're going to look at that rule number six a lot today for this episode. There are more, but I'm going to stop right there. These rules for lives will find themselves embedded into our pillars in many ways. They are all connected like a web. If I pull on one thread, it will ripple across the entire structure. One cannot live without the other. And when they are out of balance, 
so is the sum of its parts. One pillar may be more impactful in your life, and you might have a really strong pillar, while others may really connect to a different pillar that you're not quite as strong at. And usually we're pretty solid in one or two of these pillars, but we could use some growth or focus in one or two of the others. Right now, the biggest project that I'm working on is me and two of my partners are owners of a new franchise gym chain in Southern California called Eat the Frog Fitness, where we're in charge of developing our region into 27 different boutique fitness studios. And my personal role is to train fitness professionals, coaches, how to coach, and build a culture of community, health, wellness, balance, and of course, fun. Now, I know what some of you might already be thinking, Eat the Frog Fitness? That's kind of a weird name. And yes, I agree, it's definitely unique. But this name was carefully and meticulously picked for a reason. The famous author Mark Twain once wrote, If you must eat a live frog, it's best to do it first thing in the morning. After, the rest of your day will be easy and smooth. Eating the frog means doing the hardest thing. Stop procrastinating. If you don't eat your frog, it will end up eating you. Meaning that you'll end up procrastinating on it the whole day. But once your biggest, hardest task is done, the rest of the day will be an easier ride. And you will get both momentum and a sense of confidence and accomplishment. The rest of the dominoes tend to fall in place after you've completed your biggest, hardest task. A lot of us put off our health and wellness, even though we know it's one of the most important things in life. It's the foundation of everything that we do. Yet some still prioritize all the pebbles and sand in their life first. We've all heard the saying, you can't pour from an empty cup. And this is so true. When your health cup is full, It overflows, and you tend to want to help others feel the same way that you do. The same cannot be said for when your health cup is empty. Another brilliant quote that I think about all the time when it comes to this is, a healthy man has the luxury of wanting a thousand things. A sick man only wants one thing. A healthy man has the luxury of wanting a thousand things, but a sick man only wants one thing. Healthy people have more energy, they're nicer, they are more optimistic, and they have more fun. They want to help the people around them be better. They do more for their community, and their energy is contagious. When you're sick, when you don't feel well, when your body is run down and your emotions are negative, you couldn't care less about what's going on anywhere else. All you want is to just feel better. That's it. What's sadder, though, is that their energy, too, is contagious. So why do we procrastinate on doing the things that will set us up to have a healthy, fit, fulfilled life? Well, partly it's because our society has taught us that it's selfish, that we should work hard, we should eventually earn a retirement, we can sleep when we're dead, and that rest is for the weak and lazy, we celebrate people that get promotions and raises, And we put our fitness, health, and wellness on the back burner. These are our priorities. And we can see from the data of our chronically diseased society that we are reaping what we sow. Once we take control of all our pillars of total wellness, we will be equipped with the knowledge and tools and actionable items that we can add into our lives to help us do the things that we love even better. We will know how to fill up our own cups 
We will know how to become full of energy that is contagious in all the right ways. And we will be the CEO of our own health, making the right decisions for our health and having the luxury of chasing our own dream life. And with all of that picture in our minds, let's dive into our first pillar of total wellness, movement. Take a journey with me for a second, back just a few generations to the 1950s. When I asked my grandparents what what it was like back in the day, I get the typical story of, well, I used to walk to school uphill both ways in the snow, carrying a hundred pounds of books. Okay, my grandparents don't sound like that, but that's kind of what I visualize. Now, of course, if we ask our elders what it was like growing up, there may be a little embellishment. We all have done it. But things definitely were different back then. Back then, the average salary yearly was $3,000 to $5,000. Yearly. A minimum wage job would pay an average of 75 cents an hour, while hard manual labor at like a factory would get you double that at $1.50 an hour. The price of a new home would average about $8,000 to $12,000. A new car would go for about $1,500 to $2,000. And a gallon of gas for that car would be about 30 cents. A woman's dress could be purchased for around $3. And a nice pair of dress shoes, well, that would be an investment of about $6. The financial economy was different back then, but so was how we moved. Everything back then was manual. Traveling and getting to and from work took more physical effort. Instead of a robot at home that vacuums and mops, they got down on the floor, hands and knees and scrubbed. The cars that they drove in the 1950s, instead of pushing a button to do everything or touching a screen, people had to manually do things like roll their windows up and down. Do you remember that? Having to roll your windows up and down? A lot of the time, people lived in close communities where they could walk everywhere. They would walk to the store, the post office to social events with the community. If I even said the word post office to a Gen Zer, they would look at me like I was from the caveman era. Fast forward to today, brilliant minds have come up with inventions that make a lot of that stuff things of the past. Today, we double tap and swipe to get all of our things done. Am I saying that this is a bad thing? Not at all. I personally am so grateful that we are living in the time that we are. It's incredible. Some of the things that we have access to We're like things of science fiction movies back in the day. We are technically living in the era of the Jetsons. Do you remember the Jetsons? But with the evolution of technology happening much faster than the evolution of our human physiology, we must take notice of what that means for our health. Think about your body right now. Let's think about all the joints in your body. Your ankles, your knees, and your hips, your shoulders, your elbows, your wrists, even the little joints of your fingers and toes, the joints of your spine and your neck. All of those joints were intended to move. And when we were younger, they all moved in a full range of motion, maybe with a little lack of control too. Have you ever seen a baby try to control its head? This is what we call your joint mobility. Your ability to control and move a joint through its maximal range of motion. And one thing that we like to say in the mobility world is that mobility is earned. You can't buy your way to better mobility. You can't cheat or hack your way to better mobility. The only way to keep those joints moving through their fullest ranges of motion is to consistently and frequently ask them 
and take them there to do it. Life rule number two, if you don't use it, you will lose it. I want to tell you about one of my very first clients as a personal trainer, one of my favorite clients at Oregon State University Rec Center. Uh, Shout out to Dixon Rec Center. That was like one of my favorite places on earth. Now, he was a brilliant professor in his last years of teaching. It was his late 70s. Um, He was one of the kindest humans with one of the most genuine facial features that you could ever imagine. He was short and he was getting even shorter. It was like from session to session, he was getting shorter. You see his posture. It was rounded forward from the years of reading and studying and grading papers. So much so that he actually started to develop a hunchback. He could no longer raise his arms, even just to shoulder height with his strength. And he hadn't been able to raise his hands over his head in quite some time. Think of how your life would change if you couldn't reach your hands over your head. Not just like push something over your head, but actually just take your hands there. This is a huge reality for many of the advanced age people that I train, and I've trained more than I can count, and that are in our society. He couldn't walk fast. He was more of like a flat-footed shuffle because his ankles had lost the mobility and his calves had lost the strength to really get into a full cycle of what normal walking gait should look like. He had a severe case of what we call upper crossed syndrome, where the chest and front muscles were tight and short, and his back muscles were lengthened, stretched, and weak. And this created an over-exaggerated bad posture. And we know this look all too well to some degree. And his balance, his balance was so poor due to his feet being messed up from wearing dress shoes his whole life, in which these shoes had scrunched his poor toes so closely together that his pinky toe actually was now permanently hidden underneath that fourth toe. And I know what you're thinking, like, wow, that's crazy. But this is not a rarity. This is not some freak show type incident. This is what our reality could look like, might look like, will look like if we don't invest in our mobility now. If I were to say freeze right now, don't change your body position. Just observe the way your body is shaped right now. What does your body posture look like? And I love when I do this because I know that all of you changed your body posture. I said freeze, but you know what I'm talking about here. Due to technology being in front of us, I see upper cross syndrome in more people than I don't. I myself, I struggle with it as well. It seems that this is our new default position. Everything we do puts us into this C shape and we rarely do activities that counter the movement, that balance out the movement. When's the last time that you extended your spine by opening up your chest and leaning backwards? We do it so rarely that it actually feels kind of wrong. At least for me, it feels uncomfortable and foreign. Our world is set up for our knees to only ever go to 90 degree positions that we're always in. We sit at our desks, knees at 90 degrees, our couch, knees and hips, 90 degrees, in our cars, on airplanes, even on our toilets. Everywhere we go, we're sitting with our knees and hips at 90 degrees. If our goal is to live a long, independent life, then this is a serious issue. What happens when we need to take our bodies into a position but we have lost the ability due to lack of strength, lack of mobility, and lack of using it. Two of my favorite experts in the field of longevity who study how long we can live and how well we can live long 
are Dr. Peter Atia and Dr. David Sinclair. Some of you might have heard of Dr. Peter Atia or David Sinclair. They are the longevity experts. Great follows. They will quite often bring up ways to assess where their patients are when it comes to how long they're going to live. They have found that one of the most accurate ways to know how long you will live is actually with a simple grip strength test. How strong is your grip? The correlation of how strong your grip is to how long you will live is actually very high. There are many reasons why this is the case, but it all comes back to your overall strength. We very rarely carry heavy things. We very rarely hang or hold our body weight up anymore from just gripping. So one of the main assessments that we use is a simple dead hang from a bar. So here's a challenge for you. Next opportunity that you have, your goal is to test out where you stand when it comes to your dead hang grip strength. Maybe find a playground with some monkey bars or a pull-up bar at your local gym or anything that you can hang on to for a short period of time. Your goal is to be able to do a dead hang holding up your entire body weight for at least 30 seconds, at least 30 seconds. If you're unable to hold your body weight up for at least 30 seconds, then you have some work to do. This is literally the bare minimum. Studies have shown that those who lack grip strength, which usually correlates to overall strength, this lack of strength is associated with an increase in all-cause mortality, meaning that those that can't hang don't live as long. 30 seconds should be a starting goal, but just like anything you do, don't shoot for the bare minimum. If you want to find yourself in the top percentile, if you're a 40-year-old female, hanging for a minute and 30 seconds is a good goal to shoot for. If you're a 40-year-old male, hanging for two minutes would be a top percentile goal. And as you age past your 40s, these numbers are going to adjust a little bit. And if you're a little younger than your 40s, of course, they're going to adjust a little bit. But if you are short of these metrics, then you can work on your grip strength by specifically training just to hang more. Yes, you can carry heavy things. You can take multiple bags on your grocery trip all in one hand or a box full of Costco goodies. All of that counts. But the more you hold on to things, the more you grip and hang, the stronger you're going to get. So if you can't hold on for 30 seconds, you know you got some work to do. If you need a little inspiration, you can go onto your Instagram right now and you can search 70-year-old plus Virginia McCall. McCall is M-A-C-C-O-L-L. And in the presentation, I showed a video of her. Her first pull-up was at age 63. She currently trains like an American ninja warrior in her backyard. Her grip strength is incredible, not just for her age, but for any human being, period. She swings and jumps and balances with the best of them. And there are tons of other athletes like Virginia. It's not just the age. Age is just a number. We do not have to succumb to the aging process that we think we do because what we work on, what we strengthen and what we consistently do, we can work our way to being better at it. No matter the age, the body will adapt. Yes, the body wears down. It's, it's a fact, but that's due to our lifestyle choices and our environment. I like to think that our body is a factory when brand new, the equipment inside the workers, it's all brand new. It's exciting. Everything is well-oiled. And it works perfectly. As the years pass, the equipment starts to accumulate rust because it doesn't get maintained. 
the workers, they get tired and they get old, which are kind of like our mitochondria in our cells, the microbiome bacteria, the fungus, the viruses that live in and on and around us. These things start to age. But what if the factory was deep cleaned every day? What if the factory focused on the health and the well-being of its factory workers every single day? I can assure you that that factory would last much longer and operate on a much higher level than the factory that doesn't get love and attention. I believe our bodies can work in a very similar way. The moral of this story is remind your body that it is strong. Ask it very often and challenge it very often to lift, hold, and carry heavy things because it can do that. If you're unable to carry things that you want to carry, if you're unable to hang like you want to hang, if there's something that you can't do in your life right now that you'd like to be able to do when you're 90 years old or 100 years old, you must meet yourself where you're at today. Start slowly, progress, and put in the work that allows you to do it. It's the only way. Or at least until we all become bionically enhanced with robot body parts, because that's for sure coming. But I'm not really sure how I feel about that. If, if we were to give everyone a pill that immediately made them healthy and fit, would I want that? Sure, it would speed up the process, but along the way, you would lose all of the, left, the life lessons and all of the experience and wisdom we would gain from the process. And personally, I really believe that it's more about the process and the journey than the end result. Another common assessment that they use to test how long you will live is called the floor to standing assessment. As we age, we have a harder time getting up and off the floor. And this is a scary problem when it comes to our current fall statistics here in the United States. Falls can be extremely devastating for us as we age. You might even know someone in your life that has suffered from a fall and their health has deteriorated because of it. In just the last decade, fall deaths are up 30% and not showing any sign of declining. If the numbers continue by 2030, we will see about seven people pass away from the injuries that they sustain from a fall every single hour. That's seven people per hour dying because of falls. Over 10,000 Americans turn 65 years old each day. 10,000 Americans. 20 to 30% of adults who fall sustain a serious injury. And the number of adults who eventually pass away from their fall is just insane to me. And it usually all boils down to bone density and strength. And for females, it's even more drastic. Females over the age of 65 who fall, they have a 50% chance of never walking on their own again. Females over the age of 65 who fall, half never walk again. What? On their own. That's crazy. So the sit to stand assessment is you start in a standing position with your ankles crossed. Then you sit all the way back down on the floor to a crisscross seated position. After that, the goal is to stand back up. And then you see how many points of contact besides your feet and your butt that it takes to get you up. Of course, if you flop down without control, it's a half a point off. And if you wobble on the way up, it's a half a point off. But you start with 10 points. And each time you have a point of contact, like putting your hand down or putting your knee down or your elbow or anything like that, except for standing straight up, you lose a point for every point of contact. Eight to 10 points means you're going to live a strong, healthy life. Six to eight points means that you have a two times higher risk 
of having a shorter life than those who can't. And a three and a half to six and a half point earnage, you have a three and a half times higher risk of having a shorter life. All that this means is the people that have more points of contact when they touch the floor, when they get up from the ground, they will likely live less time. So test yourself. Where are you at? The best way to get better at this assessment is to get up and off the floor many, many, many times a day. I have made it a goal of mine that anytime I'm getting off the floor, I make it a rule that I cannot use my hands. I do not use my hands. I do this because I don't want to lose the ability to do this as I age. I want to be 90 years old doing a pistol squat off the floor instead of using an object that I have to crawl up and hopefully I can am strong enough to get up. Find an awareness of just how many times you get up off the floor every day and you will be surprised that it is probably pretty rare. Honestly, I can't say this enough for longevity. It can be as simple as spending more time on the floor and on the ground. The more time you spend giving your body physical feedback from the floor, the more it strengthens where it needs to be. The, bo- the bones, the joints, the ligaments, the muscles. Think about our children. They are constantly falling and rolling and sprawling in all sorts of different positions down on the ground. Is it weird when adults do the same thing? It most certainly is. But our current normal is not on the best health path. So maybe normal is not what we should be shooting for. Maybe we should try to be a little bit more like our children. The dead hang test and the sit to stand test, these are a way of predicting your longevity and helping you know if you're on the right track to living a strong, independent life. But what about what about if you just want to do the same thing that I did when I got into fitness? What if you're looking for more of a body composition type goal? What if you're trying to change the way that your body looks, like gaining muscular strength or losing body fat? Well, this is a different goal than being independent and strong, but movement is a great way to do that as well. So let's talk about that. This is what most of my personal training clients come to me for. Most are looking for help in losing some body fat and quote unquote, toning up their muscles, losing body fat and toning up. Now, toning is not an actual thing. It was a word invented by the fitness industry to sell products to the average person. Um, It was a way of getting females to buy their products because females back in the day thought that if they lifted heavy, they would end up looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Most people don't want huge bodybuilding muscles. And back then, bodybuilders were really the only ones that were lifting weights and doing resistance training. So lifting weights started to be associated with huge giant muscles, which yes, if you want huge giant muscles, it is mandatory that you lift and you have to lift heavy things. But even for those of us that want to just tone our muscles, resistance training is that as well. The total amount of energy your body uses every single day, the total amount of energy called your total daily energy expenditure or TDEE, your body uses up your TDEE in four main ways. I'm going to use some acronyms here, so stay with me. I promise I'm going to make it easy to understand, but most people, when they think about their TDEE, their total daily energy expenditure, they think about exercise being the main way that you burn energy. When in fact, it's actually the smallest piece of the pie out of the four categories that your body uses to burn energy, exercise is only about five to maybe 10% of your daily calories, depending on how much you exercise. Does this mean that exercise is pointless? 
No, not at all. But I do think that this is one of the main reasons why here in the United States, we struggle with our weight. We think that in order to eat 300 calories of a Snicker bar, we have to run or bike those 300 calories off. But this is like digging a hole in the ground with a spoon. It's definitely possible, but we're using the wrong tool here and we're looking at it the wrong way. If we're looking for the best possible route, we got to look at something different. So exercise represents maybe five to 10% of your TDEE, depending on how consistent you are. And of course, how often you do it next, your body also uses energy to break down food, to absorb and to digest that food and to shuttle all those nutrients and building blocks to where they eventually need to go. This is called your thermic effect of food or TEF. This is also a small part of the pie and can vary depending on the types of food that you eat, high fiber foods, high protein foods. Those cost the most energy to digest while fats don't really cost much at all or simple sugars like soda and alcohol. We'll talk more about this on our nutrition pillar. So for let, for now, let's put a pin in that. But your thermic effect of food is estimated to be about maybe 10% of your TDEE, 10%. The next way that your body uses energy is called your BMR, your basal metabolic rate. This is what most people talk about when they say, I have a fast or I have a slow metabolism. Your BMR, your basal metabolic rate, it is essentially how much energy your body uses just being alive. If you were to stay in bed all day, or God forbid you were in a coma, just breathing and keeping your vital organs going, your BMR is all the energy that it takes to keep your metabolism going. Your metabolism is the chemical processes that occur in your body to create energy and maintain life. This actually takes up a very large part of your total daily energy expenditure, and it makes up about 60 to 75% of your TDEE, 60 to 75%, well over half of your energy comes from this process. Now, back when I went to college, I was taught that your BMR, it was pretty much your genetics. And what you have now is what you got, and it wasn't very changeable. What's very interesting is we are now finding out that how much muscle you have on your body actually has a significant effect on your BMR. Muscle is a very metabolically active tissue. It costs a lot of energy to maintain muscle. Muscle is one of my favorite topics. People kind of know about its importance, but I still think muscle is so underrated. Muscle helps with blood sugar control. It helps counter insulin resistance, which is a huge health issue currently when we're talking about obesity, when we're talking about diabetes, blood pressure issues, and even more incredible muscle when used releases feel good chemicals into your body and brain that help combat anxiety, depression, and cognitive decline. Things like Alzheimer and dementia. If I had a gift to give to all of my loved ones, it would be to give them more muscle. Does this mean we have to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger to be healthy? No, the answer is definitely no. Sidebar, I find it so funny that our human mind, it's always drawn to the extremes. In my small amount of experience, it seems that the answer is usually it, res it resides somewhere in the middle with lots of gray. It's almost never, yes, we have to do this always or never do this. It's never black and white, but I digress. So when I went through college, the physical activity guidelines for Americans suggested that adults need 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic activity a week. This was a good start, 
But just recently, I was so excited to see that they actually added to this to two days a week of resistance training. They added two days of resistance training to the recommendation. If you want to increase your BMR, I recommend hitting each major muscle group at least twice per week. Most of my clients have the best success with three full body lifts spread out throughout the week with a day in between, like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing, or a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday thing. Resistance training is one piece of the exercising slice of pie. Great for strength, great for injury prevention, great for being more independent in life, and for creating a super important muscle tissue that we want to keep as we age, which in my opinion, one of the secrets to a long life and health span, muscle. And then on the days that you don't lift, I would suggest that you actually work on the fourth piece of the pie. And the fourth and final piece of the pie is called your non-exercise activity or NEAT. Now, anyone that knows me or has listened to this podcast for a while, you know I'm obsessed with NEAT. What is NEAT and why is it important? Well, NEAT is defined as all of the physical activity that you do outside of your planned exercise. Walking to your car to drive to work, NEAT. Doing yard work, going to the mailbox to get your mail, NEAT. Climbing the stairs, walking to the bathroom, typing at your computer, fidgeting and bouncing your leg during this presentation, all of these large and small movements require your body to use energy. And guess what? All these small, seemingly insignificant movements throughout the day, they can seriously add up. That's right, the annoying coworker who can't stop moving during the meeting and keeps clicking the damn pen and tapping their foot, that person is using up energy and over time, it has a huge impact on their body composition and energy expenditure. While they say that need is usually about 15% of your daily total daily energy expenditure on average, 15%, need in my opinion is actually the most impactful and easily manipulated variable out of all four of these tools to our energy expenditure. So in my experience, I've seen clients change their daily behaviors, like parking in the furthest parking spot and walking to the store, or deciding to take the stairs instead of the elevator, or to add in a 10-minute walk after each big meal, or to take extra trip trips to the water cooler and bathroom in between their work breaks. Walks in nature for the purpose of downregulating from fight or flight to rest and repair, I've seen these things, these changes in NEAT, able to match the amount of energy it would take to do something like an hour bike ride at a moderate intensity. So essentially, you're taking an hour of your day to do planned exercise, and then instead, you're just making these small changes throughout the day, and it will have the same effect. This, for some, could be a mind-blowing epiphany moment. Most people that I talk to are not in the fitness industry, and they don't love working out. Lots of people I know, they actually dread working out. But all it takes is a shift in mindset and strategy. So here is your action plan for boosting your movement pillar to optimal status. Here's the secret sauce. Here's the game plan that you can use to elevate your movement game. First, it's a must that you resistance train. It is so important that you ask your muscles to work regularly and in a way that progressively overloads them. So as to send the signal that your muscle is needed to the body and strength is an important thing to prioritize because you're gonna need it. You have to prioritize muscle tissue. I personally think that our society is under-muscled. We are getting weaker physically for many reasons, and this is affecting us later in our lives. 
falls that we can't get up from, not being able to live a life independently due to lack of strength. And as we lose the body armor that is our muscle, we become more fragile, which eventually leads to a life where we need to be taken care of rather than a life that we can enjoy. Lifting heavy sends a signal for growth. It sends a signal that more strength is needed. It sends a signal that we need to prioritize muscle because if we don't use it, we will lose it. If we don't frequently ask our bodies to use muscle, it will decide that this expensive tissue is not needed and it will slowly pare muscle down, which will drop our energy expenditure. It will weaken our entire biomechanical system. When you lift, I recommend that you hit each major muscle group two times per week. Upper body and lower body is a great way to break it up. And at least a few of these exercises, you should lift heavy enough to where you're trying to move the weight faster and it will not move any faster. That's when you know that you've used enough load to create a stimulus for strength, growth, and change. Obviously, just like anything, investing in a really good fitness professional like a coach or a trainer when you first start off is the gold standard. I'm not just saying this because I am a trainer, but it's proven that you will go further, faster, and you will take less detours and setbacks if you have guidance from a professional at the beginning of your journey, someone that's been there and helped others go through what you're going through. But this can come in many forms. I mean, if you don't have the finances to invest in this category of your health, there are tons, tons of free content on the internet. Go follow some of the experts that we've talked about on our megaphone episodes that we've shouted out on this podcast, or send me a message and I can help guide you in the right direction. I have hundreds of hours, literally maybe thousands of hours of content on muscle that I can share with you. But if I stay much longer on this, ep- on this topic, this entire presentation is going to turn into my love story for muscle. So moving on, the next thing you must also do is do your best to avoid sedentary behavior for more than 60 minutes at a time. If you're ever still in one place, immobile for 60 minutes or more, this is your cue that movement needs to happen. What if I told you that your body, it's an incredible detox machine. Your heart, it does an amazing job at pumping blood all the way to your arms, your legs, through the arteries. But in order to complete the circle of life, you must get that blood to your veins and back to your heart. But what's not as well known is that you have these little offshoots from your arteries and veins. And this is where some of that fluid can get slowed down or I think a better picture that you can put kind of a great visual in your head. I like to use the word stagnant. This fluid can get stagnant. Your veins and these offshoots, these vessels called capillaries and and the lymphatic system and arterioles, these are great for waste management and waste removal, but they require movement to help circulate all of this fluid back to where it needs to go to circulate your blood, your metabolic waste, any toxins that may have found their way into your body back to your organs and back to your heart where they can be adequately detoxed and removed. Think of the fluid in your body like pond water. If you have a pond, your heart is the pump that circulates the water so that it stays clean and fresh. Now let's take a very sedentary position, a very common sedentary position these days, and use sitting as an example. When you sit, the muscles of your legs are inactive. This means that no muscle activation is happening. No movement is happening to help take the fluid from your toes, your ankles, your calves, back up to your torso where it can be cleaned and reoxygenated. 
Sitting is as if we took the pond pump and made it a third of the size. So now the pump is not big enough to help circulate and the water that is furthest from the pump starts to get stagnant, dirty, and diseased. So without using fear tactics, it may help for you to start thinking of sedentary behavior like creating stagnant pond water in your non-moving body parts. Have you seen Finding Nemo when they make their fish tank all gross because they turn off the filter so that they can get that person to clean it? That could be your stagnant body parts. Stagnant water over a long period of time, day after day, in the same way, you could see how this could start to become problematic. Now, I'm sure you've experienced being at your desk for a few hours in a row, and midday, you start to feel that extreme exhaustion where you just want to take a nap. Part of the reason you feel that way is lack of movement and lack of flow of oxygen throughout your body and to your cells and to your brain. Think of the fluid in your body like pond water, and your heart is the pump that circulates the water so that it stays clean and fresh, but your muscles, especially the muscles of your leg, do the same. When you sit and you're rounded forward, your lungs and heart are compressed. You have tight hip flexors in the front of your hips, which give you weak abs. You have poor circulation and muscle degradation in the legs. You start to get weak glutes because you're sitting on them. They're not asking to fire. That's when those weak backside muscles start to make your back muscles take over. And there's where we get that epidemic of back pain. You have strained upper back and neck muscles, and you have less oxygen to your brain. This is a terrible position to put yourself in for a long period of time. But this doesn't have to be a problem. It's actually an easy fix as long as you stay on top of it. Set an alarm on your phone for every 30 to 60 minutes to just get up, maybe go walk to the drinking fountain, or maybe go to the bathroom on the floor above or below you. Maybe you're on an important Zoom call and you can't move. Just turn off your camera really quick. Get up and do 10 bodyweight squats and sit back down. Return to what you were doing. 30 seconds max. Anything helps here. It just requires you to move the muscles of your legs to help with flow. There are all sorts of activity trackers out there that will remind you to move. The iWatch is one of the most popular ones. It gives you a little notification when you've been sitting still for too long. Which brings me to... Our next focus item, I definitely suggest investing in an activity tracker. There are many different types, iWatch, Fitbit, Garmin, Bodybug, but my personal favorite tracker I absolutely love is the Aura Ring, O-U-R-A, Aura Ring. I have no affiliation with this company, but I've used their tracker for years, maybe over five years now. Wearing an activity tracker can be so beneficial if you do it correctly. Your goal is to wear it as consistently as possible. And this is why I love the Aura Ring. I never have to take it off. I only have to take it off one hour a week to charge it. It's low profile. I lift with it. I sleep with it. I shower with it. It's always on me. So the data that I collect is super consistent. I tried the Fitbit. I tried the iWatch. But I just found that I don't love things on my wrist, especially when I'm sleeping or swimming or showering. So when I do those things, I would end up taking it off and then I'd forget to wear it. And then the data was not very consistent. This is what we talk about when we talk about finding awareness. This is finding awareness 101. Find something that you can wear consistently and start to collect the data on how much you move, on where you're at. Once you find your average, you can slowly start to make changes that adjust your data in the direction that you want to go. 
The average American takes 3,000 to 4,000 steps every day, and that's it. That is about equal to only about a mile and a half to two miles a day. They estimate that back in the 1950s, even stay-at-home moms averaged more towards 15,000 to 20,000 steps. That's five times more than the average American today. Your goal should be to figure out where you're currently at and then slowly, and that's the key word, slowly increase your average steps, maybe like a a thousand extra steps each week until you've reached the eventual goal of 10 to 12,000 steps a day. And of course, it may take you much longer than a thousand steps a week to add, and that's totally fine. You just don't want to do it fast. You want to do it slowly over time and not change it all at once. Your body, it's an adaptation machine, and the more intense of a change from the norm, the more stressful the change, the more the body tends to push back to maintain the set point that it's been comfortably sitting at. Some of the best ways that you can increase your steps and therefore movement throughout the day is to bump up all your neat activities. When offered the choice between an escalator and the stairs, only 2% of people will take the stairs. When offered the choice between an escalator and the stairs, 2%, two out of every 100 people take the stairs instead of the escalator. Author Michael Easter wrote an amazing book called The Comfort Crisis, and I recommend this book to everyone. He makes the case for us to all join the 2%er club. Take the stairs every time, no questions, no deciding, just make that small change, even if you work on the 10th floor. When you're going to the store, Don't fight the crowds to get to the closest parking spot. You end up spending more time than if you just would have gone to the back, park, and walked. It all adds up. And one of the biggest hacks after your large meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, take five to 10 minutes, preferably 10, to walk it off. This has huge positive benefits, not only on digestion and absorption, but a 10-minute walk can add over a 1,000 steps to your daily count which is a third already of what the average American does. If you avoid sedentary activity for more than 60 minutes at a time, if you increase your daily movement by tracking your steps and setting an eventual goal to hit, and if you resistance train and hit each major muscle group at least twice per week, you will boost your movement pillar to optimal levels, and you will be checking off a huge pillar of total wellness. Now, it's definitely easier said than done when discussing what things you should do to improve your movement. And most of us kind of know what needs to be done, but you have to change your entire lifestyle in order to make it happen. And that is so, so, so challenging, but we have to agree that the most of the reason why we are where we are right now, most of the reasons why we are where we are is based on our lifestyle choices and our decisions and actions of the past. It's our fault. We must take responsibility. If we don't take responsibility for where we are now, then we lose all the power to change and get us to where we want to be. We must take responsibility. If you don't take responsibility for where you are, you will lose all the power to change and get to where you want to be. We did an episode on how to make exercise a habit. And if you haven't listened to that one, I'll include the link in the description of this episode, but it's a must. We discuss how you can, in a way, program your brain to work for you and to unprogram some of the not-so-good habits that we've created that take us further from our health and total wellness goals. But there are two huge things that you can do that I use every single day of my life that has gotten me to the level that I describe as 
relentless consistency. If you want success, you want relentless consistency in that thing that's going to get you there. Any person who has earned success in their life, I can almost guarantee you that it was because of relentless consistency. And here's how I got mine. First thing to changing your current lifestyle is setting up your environment to make it impossible for me not to achieve my goal. Setting up my environment as we, as well as setting up your environment to remove all the things that take me further from my goal. So set up the environment to take away those things. So for movement, your environment should reflect an atmosphere that makes you want to move. How are most rooms set up? Okay. You walk into an office and there's a desk with one place to sit in a chair facing the screen. Maybe there's a couple of chairs in front of it for visitors, but let's say you walk into a living room. There's a couch set up right in front of a TV. Your exercise equipment is probably hidden away somewhere in the garage or in a room that's way out of the way of where you normally reside. Your things are probably all placed on shelves or countertops that are right at torso height so that you don't have to squat or bend or twist to get them or use them. You probably have all your remotes right where you sit so that you can control everything from the touch of a button so that you do not have to move. I'm very guilty of this sometimes. Your life is so advanced. You could do most of the things that you need to do without walking more than 60 seconds at a time to get where you need to go. I'm going to walk to my car to get to my work. I'm going to walk to my office, to my boss's office and back to mine. I'm going to walk to the living room and the the fridge. Everything is just a few short steps and a few little touches or swipes away. This is the average American's life. And they only get 3,000 to 4,000 steps a day. Setting up your environment in a way that guides you into automatically moving in different planes of motion, into performing different patterns of movement, setting up your environment to guide you into doing different and sometimes uncomfortable ways of performing normal everyday activities and essentially forcing you to move differently than the average person. This is the game changer. Here are some strategies that may make your home look a little bit odd to the occasional visitor that may make the OCD people cringe, but will start to prompt you into adding tiny movement snacks into your day in order to build and maintain a fully functioning human body the way that it was meant to perform. Think about all the ways that you move in your day. How do you move? You walk and you sit with your knees and hips at 90 degrees. You lay down horizontally for sure. Some of you may jog every once in a while. Some of you may exercise a few times a week, but mainly that's it. Those are the only movements that you do. When do you move your body laterally, left to right? When do you rotate and twist your body? When do you lunge? When do you jump? When do you sprint? When do you dead hang? When do you carry super heavy things that challenge your grip? How often do you sit in a deep squat or get up and down off the floor? How often do you raise your arms all the way over your head with a load that challenges your strength? If you live the normal, average, everyday life of a human in the United States, the answer to all of those activities is I do them very rarely. Rule number two, if you don't use it, you will lose it. So instead of putting a normal desk chair at your office, maybe you put an exercise physio ball that is lower than the height that you normally sit at. And you can spend some time with your knees lower than 90 degrees. 
This will also help your core muscles stay turned on. Otherwise, you'd fall right off. It will help keep your leg muscles active. Maybe you have a desk that your computer can go lower and higher. So you can move it from low to high every 30 minutes. I know a bunch of my clients that do this. You could put a pull-up bar in a doorway. So every time you go through that door, you got to do a quick dead hang. Or if you're one of the few that can actually do a pull-up, maybe you bust out a pull-up or two. Maybe instead of sitting on the couch after all day sitting in your desk in the same position, maybe while you're watching Netflix at night, you put a super comfortable yoga mat down and a big fluffy blanket and some pillows down on the ground. So you're getting up and off the floor. You're doing your mobility and your stretching while stacking it with a sedentary TV relaxation time. If you have kids, you could live down in a deep squat while playing with them and your, and their toys. Those of you that have done this, you know that immediately It illuminates how much mobility that you've lost. Your back starts to hurt. Your knees and ankles get super tired, super fast. Or maybe it's just so painful that you can't even do it. Pain is your body's way of letting you know that something isn't right with this movement. Yes, it might be structural, like a worn down meniscus or a ligament tear. But most of the time, it is not structural. It's a lack of strength in this muscle to perform that movement or a lack of mobility in the joints to even get into that position anymore. But the amazing thing with proper training, with consistent practice and with smart frequency that you can recover from, and of course, with your diet and your sleep and your recovery, you can change, you can morph your body how you want it to be. You don't have to be the person with bad knees or a bad back forever. Of course, if you tell yourself that you are the person that I have bad knees, I, I am a person with bad knees. If you believe you are, if you don't put in the work, if you avoid those movements, or if you do too much too fast, you will for sure always be that person. But all of those are choices for you to make. And I decided myself a long time ago, I don't care how old I get. I don't care what everybody says. I don't care what happens to the normal person. I am going to take responsibility for myself and my body. If there is a movement that I cannot do and I want to do it when I'm 90 years old, I will start as small as I have to and as slow as I have to. And I will do it every single day, multiple times a day and progress when I'm ready until I am where I want to be. In my late 20s, I had the worst pain in my knees and hips. I couldn't sit on an airplane for more than 30 minutes without having to stand up because my knees would just be screaming in pain. I couldn't get off the floor without using my hands. I have worked my way up and I now I get off the floor with one leg called a pistol squat, no hands. I can do it on both legs easily. It's not a challenge. If you take a session with me and you watch me when I demo the core exercises on the floor, when I get up, I don't use my hands. I've made that as a rule for my life. It's not to be a show off. It's because I've seen so many advanced age clients of mine lost their independence and their strength. And I see how hard of it is as a road to go backwards and try to dig them out of that hole. And then I see the occasional 80 year old that took the time to work on these movements their entire life. And the difference between these two 80 year olds is insane. It's It's two completely different species. Usually, these fit and strong 80-year-olds, they live that life 
that set them up to be this way. Maybe they worked on a farm or, or maybe they were from a country where they, where they walked everywhere and they had hills and, and you know, they didn't have the first word world technology that we have today. But all that aside, what it does show is that it's possible. It is possible. And it's not impossible like everyone thinks it is. That aging is just an inevitability. And I'm not letting the average or normal person tell me that I'm weird for wanting to avoid losing those things that mean the most to our human race in our later years. Set up your environment so that any place you have sedentary activity, you can also work on doing the things that are you're unable to do now that you want to do in your later years. You have a phone call spot. Maybe you put some bands or a dumbbell, or it's your cue to go for a walk outside with some wireless Bluetooth headphones waiting for you to brew your coffee in the kitchen. Maybe you put a kettlebell in your kitchen where you can do a few reps of a few exercises while you wait. Studying or researching at a desk, set an alarm on your phone and go up and down stairs and get a water break every 30 to 60 minutes. If you can't do the movement now, if you can't do it now, you will not be able to do it in 10 years unless you work towards it. And the next thing, the second thing is all about stacking it with something that you already do as a habit, something that you already do consistently. We talked about stacking a movement snack with a sedentary behavior, but let's also briefly touch on the number one way that I personally change my behavior. I am a habit, a ritual, a routine machine. Everything I do, I do it in a certain way because I've trained my body and my mind to understand patterns. If this happens, then this is next. Once I complete this task, then this is what I will do next. It helps me live efficiently, yes. It helps me save energy from deciding what to do next, yes. It helps my body and mind be preemptively prepared for whatever it is that I'm about to do because I know what's coming next. What is something that you do automatically? Brush your teeth in the morning. Getting your coffee to, at your favorite coffee shop. Eating lunch at noon. Every Sunday is brunch with a friend. Now, what is something that you do automatically? What is something that you want to change in your life? Stack the two things together. Create a bond between the two actions. If your habit happens, then right after your new behavior, desired behavior happens. Do this consistently. Consistently do this for a few weeks and it will slowly become ingrained. Neurons that fire together, wire together. And soon it will become harder not to do this new habit or behavior than it is to actually do it. That's when you know that you figured out the secret way to hacking your brain and your behavior. The key word is consistency. You have to do the hard thing. You have to frequently and consistently Ask it to do it in the same order every single time for this to work. And that's why this is not easy. That's why it's not for everyone. And that's why everyone doesn't do this. But rule number three, do the hard thing. Everything I want is on the other side of hard. So this is where I want to start concluding our episode on the first pillar of total wellness, movement. And during the Zoom presentation, this is where I actually asked all the participants to join me in an activity together because we had just been talking about avoiding sedentary behavior. And here we were sitting there still together for 20 minutes. So the most common sedentary position is sitting, right? Sitting at a chair at a desk. This is where we start to see that upper cross syndrome really start to manifest in our bad posture. 
And it's also combined with what we call tech neck, where our head is jutted forward from where it's supposed to be stacked on top of our shoulders with our neutral spine, which is from us looking down at our devices. And this causes neck and shoulder pain along with stiffness and soreness of the upper back. Um, from Have you guys seen the movie Jerry Maguire? The famous Jerry Maguire quote, Ray, little Ray, the little kid, he's in the back seat and they're trying to have a conversation in the front seat and Ray goes, Jerry, did you know that the human head weighs eight pounds? Well, in fact, the human head averages a little more than that, little Ray. It averages 10 to 14 pounds. And every inch that our head moves forward, it increases its weight by about 10 extra pounds due to the gravitational forces pushing down on it. The average head is shifted forward about two inches, meaning that the muscles in the neck and upper back are trying to hold up over 34 pounds. And that's all day long. No wonder we feel stiff and sore. So I offered a few mobility moves that we could do right at our desk to counter this position. And over time, the goal was to balance out the body and prevent those aches and pains and weaknesses and atrophy of muscles that happen when sedentary in one position for too long. So I'm going to film a video of these exercises and post them on our Instagram page with the post of this episode on the Instagram page at live in the dream podcast. So if you find us at live in the dream podcast, as soon as this episode drops, I'm going to post, uh, not only the slide for this episode, but also a video of these stretches that I showed during the presentation. We'll show you how to do thoracic extension, which is a chest and shoulder opener, which is great for our rolled forward shoulders. We'll show you a seated figure four position, which is great for your hips and your low back health and pain prevention. We're going to show you a prisoner back extension, again, for the mid-back and putting us into position opposite of where we normally live. We'll show you some seated torso rotations so that we can get that core rotating, which we very rarely ever do in our front-to-back world. We'll show you some seated hamstring activators so that we can counteract the shortening that happens in the hamstrings, which weakens the glutes and pulls on our low back, which is why we have an epidemic of back pain in our society. And then we'll also show you some neck stretches, which is so important when it comes to us holding up our head all day long in weird positions, statically looking at screens. I asked the people of the presentation to pick one, two, or all of these to do every 30 to 60 minutes as a part of our routine to break up our sedentary behavior. I call these types of moves joint juice. That's right, joint juice. So get your joint juice in every 30 to 60 minutes. Life rule number six. Movement is life, motion is lotion, and fitness can be your medicine. Stay tuned for next week when we move on to the next pillar of total wellness, nutrition. Please let me know what topics on movement we didn't cover today, what we may have missed, what has helped you in your life, or maybe some new research that has come out of the world that would help the Live in the Dream team out. I'd love to hear from you. You can find our contact information in the description of this episode. One final recommendation here before we end. After I recorded this episode, I read a book by Aaron Alexander, who I follow on social media, as well as I listen to his podcast. It's called The Align Podcast with Aaron Alexander. His Instagram handle where he posts a lot of cool stuff is called at Align Podcast, A-L-I-G-N Podcast. And his book is called The Align Method. And when it comes to the topic of movement, this book is incredible. 
To anyone wanting to learn more about what we discussed on this episode today, this book is a must-read. I'll include all of his content information in the description of this episode. Check it out. And that's it, my friends, for this week's episode. Each week, we'll focus on sharing information that will help you with your health, fitness, and wellness journey. Share the knowledge that you gained today with your friends, your family, and hold each other accountable. If you enjoyed this content, it helps a ton. If you could post on your social media stories a screenshot of this episode with one takeaway that you learned. And make sure that you tag me and share your journey. Tag me at livingthedream underscore podcast or at coachdamian underscore sd. And let us know how this episode benefited you. Let's get more people on this lifelong learner train and join the Living the Dream team. Message us if you have any suggestions or tips that would help your Living the Dream team that we can discuss on future episodes. I will be right here with you, working on making us stronger, happier, and healthier humans. Until next time, friends, keep living the dream.